Welcome to the Two Top Podcast, the weekly podcast where we go over different topics in the world. I'm your host, Thomas Lance, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Berg. How's it going? You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Make sure to follow us on Twitter to stay updated on the latest episodes. Now let's dive right into this week's episode of Two Top. For a tour podcast. So are you, are, you, are you ready to podcast? I'm ready to podcast. All right, let's podcast. And actually, the intro's already played. It's it's fine. It's fine. Let's just let's go into it, Matt. Let's dive right into it. Let's get cheesy with it. Cheesy. So yesterday, I don't know, stuff was going on in my mind. I was just asking questions in the world, and then for some reason, I was like, "Why are some cheeses hard, and why are some cheeses soft?" So today's podcast is about cheese. That's a great topic. I love that. I was I was in the cheese mood. I want grilled cheese today. I had a cheeseburger for lunch. I'm probably going to have a roast beef and cheese later. Ooh, I know. Cheese is incredible. I'm a big fan of cheese. An incredible medium of the of the food <laughs> art. I'm glad I'm not lactose intolerant. That's all I can say. Thank goodness. So cheese. There is a lot of science, actually, when it comes down to cheese. It's a lot of different aging processes and bacteria, similar to yogurt. It's when you take the milk culture and then by introducing different bacteria to it, you get different stuff. Sounds gross. Tastes delicious. Sounds really gross, which is one of the things that it's like when you look stuff up, you normally don't like the responses. What you find out is normally worse than what you started with. Oh, yeah. It's like some things you didn't need to know. But there's two major varieties, I'd say. Like There's a lot of cheese, but like they kind of fall into two categories, which then fall into their own categories as well. You have hard cheese and soft cheese. Okay, so they're the technical terms for yeah. a solid form of cheese. Well, and, a and then you form have semi-hard cheese and semi-soft cheese. Semi, I feel like those would be the same. Let me let me go into it, and then when you're thinking it, and you're thinking of the cheeses you've eaten, you'll you'll get the vibe. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go so into it. we have our soft cheese, which is not completely ripe, hence it's like bad odor. Sometimes that's the smelly cheeses you're thinking of. And because the bacteria is not fully matured, it's still a little soggy, you know? They're still they're still moving around in there. Okay, so it's actually the organisms are moving around. That's why it's kind of soft. Well, they're not, like, fully matured and then died. Ah, okay. Hence, hard cheese, which is harder, and the maturity of the bacteria has been reached. Is it, like, fossilized kind yeah, of? Yeah, in they're a like... sense. The, they kind of got old and died. But that's the reason Swiss cheese has holes in it, you know? Bacteria gives off gas, and in the molds, there's nowhere for the gas to go, so it forms little pockets in the cheese. Wow. That's why you have Swiss cheese with holes in it. So, folks, that's why your cheese might have holes. And it's not just Swiss cheese. A couple other uh, cheeses have the holes, right? So yes. It's that gas release. Yeah, it's, that's that bacteria working its magic. Oh, man. I, I <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. We're, we're totally covering, like, um, this is matter, solid liquids and gases, all in the form of cheese. A cheese can be a solid, <laughs> the, a liquid, and, and a gas. gas. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's talk about some examples of each variety, and then you'll catch on to what I'm talking about. So we have our hard cheese, which is, like, or uh, Asiago and our Parmesan. Asiago. You know, Parmesan cheese, it's it's chunky. Yeah, it's, it's chunky and it kind of flakes off, I guess you could say. Exactly. Like it chunks. It's Ital- like a lot of the Italian cheeses are like this, the brick of cheese that you don't cut off a slice, you kind of grate it up. Oh, yeah. So then we go into semi-hard, which is like your sharp cheddars. 
mm. and cheddar varieties. Okay. I like you a good how, uh, sharp cheddar on my grilled cheese. You know how like cheddar can sometimes be grum- crumbly, a little crumbly? Oh, yeah. Like if you get a block of cheddar. I mean, w- when I work at my the supermarket I work at, uh, the cheese, our cheddar cheese, very crumbly because mm-hmm. it's a semi-hard cheese. Semi-hard cheese. Now, our semi-soft cheese, this is the cheese that like you and me have on our sandwiches. This is the... G- yeah, like the American cheese. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking American right away. Monterey Jack, Havarti, Gouda, Provolone, Swiss. They're they're all semi soft, and oh, yeah. you feel that. You know, yeah, you can flap not, it around. They're kind not of. they're not melting in your hand. Yeah, but like if you leave them out on a pan, they might start getting yeah. a little melty, right? So, and then we go into our soft cheeses, which are like our brie, our ricotta, and our camembert. It's kind of like a cream. Kind it's of. More, Some of them spread really easily. Exactly. And those are your super, super soft cheeses. Hence, like, brie doesn't breeze still with the bacteria, in it, but it's a really runny cheese. It's very good cheese. It's very good cheese, yeah. Uh, crackers and cheese. Mm. Mm. And it spreads so nicely, uh, too. Uh, nothing like a nice cheese platter. You can't, you can't, get, you can't, can't find a good cheese platter. It's something you got to truly go master wrong. yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So, some nice crackers. All right, let me flip over my math notes, which I wrote my uh, notes on. Your cheese this, notes. My cheese notes. Some cheesy math notes there. So, you may think, well, in order to make cheese, you need milk. Yeah. So, if you think a little too long about it, like you do when you're sitting in math class taking <laughs> yeah. notes on cheese, you think, what all can make cheese? Because a lot of things it's make milk. It's not just milk. milk. It's Yeah, okay. But, like, not only cows, more than cows... There's more animals besides cows that make milk. Are there non-animal-based milks used for cheese? We'll get into that later. Okay. But let okay. me talk about the animals that do make. You can make cheese out of their milk. Goats. You can make cows, of course. Goats. Reindeer. Reindeer. Reindeer cheese. That's that's Christmas cheese. Christmas cheese. <laughs> uh, sheep cheese. Sheep cheese. Which I mean, goat sheep. Close. Very enough. similar. Yeah. Um, water buffalo cheese. Oh, I feel like that would taste terrible. How about a buffalo burger with water buffalo cheese on top? It would be authentic to the water buffalo. Very, I don't know how it would taste. It'd be very locally sourced if you got it next to a buffalo farm. Everything on there is buffalo. Yeah, it's right there. And then yaks. Yak cheese. Yak cheese. And then you can also find um, kind of like mixed milk cheese. So like... Take some goat and cow milk. I have not thought of that. I that gets when I saw that I was kind of like, hmm, that that doesn't almost sound right. I feel like we're going against the laws of taste by mixing different milks. The laws of taste. Well, I don't mix goat milk and cow milk. No, like I'd never That's do not it something you think of half and half. But it's not like creamer and milk. It's cow milk and goat milk. That's just something else. It's, it's a whole different ball. It's game. not. It shouldn't be a category in itself. So now that we've talked about the different types of cheese, we've talked about how cheese can come from different animals. So let's talk about the history of cheese. I feel like I should have started with this, but that's fine. We'll end it with this. No one minds. So uh, cheese is old. People found out how to make cheese, and they've been making cheese for a long time. They've been spreading it on crackers since the, the early days They were days spreading of it on man. crackers when they could only spread it. They only had rocks. They, only, they spread it on rocks before they had crackers. Well, the earliest accounts of cheese come from 6,000 B.C. 6,000 B.C. Which is... Cave cheese. Really cave cheese. You're talking like Stonehenge cave cheese. Whoa. 
Um, but obviously stuff that far back, it's kind of loose. So, Hey, some say that Stonehenge was held together by, by cheese. cheese. Some <laughs> cheese was in the cracks. Yeah. Uh, so cheese was kind of all small scale. Like if you had a farm, you made cheese. Okay. So it was all small scale until like the 1820s. And then you got factory cheeses. So it was like the farm cheese versus factory. Cheese. Like mass production cheese. Yes. Is that when you say factories? Okay. So nowadays, uh, factory cheese is the cheese that we eat today. But that's like your mass-produced cheese, like your craft cheese, your... Oh, I'm trying to think of some names. Um, what's the one uh, in, the, in the package? What's the name? It's such a, such a funny name. Uh, the... the guy has like an accent, like a Wisconsin accent. Oh, Wisconsin cheese? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a common... Um, I'm trying to think the cheeses, the little squares that you put on the craft singles. There's craft singles, yeah. Yeah, craft so, has a monopoly over the cheese geez. industry. <laughs> no, uh, there's lots of. Uh, um, what is the name of the cheese company that I'm thinking of? Well, normally cheese like that, that's factory cheese. When you're getting cheese that's more natural and like farm cheese is what I guess they'd call it. That cheese is coming from the farms like uh some i know is applegate bell evans uh boar's head make i think boar's head makes some cheese but that's kind of not as factory obviously because it's smaller companies and most more organic cheeses that's normally made in small batches like if you go into some of the more trendy parts of town and you go to a cheese shop nor most of the time those cheeses are not made in a line in factories. It's just too selective. It's too much of a gourmet product. Not everybody's making blue cheese through nonstop assembly lines or some camembert or some uh, gruyere, like for the masses. It's kind of more small wine and cheese and cracker shops. It's not like a high demand type of thing, right? Where they need to be constantly producing those high end cheeses. Well, it's not water. It's not like yeah. shelter. It's, it's cheese. It's cheese. It's a. It's essentially it's like a luxury item. You know, it's a good snack. Like it's, it's a good super snack. expensive. I mean, it can get very expensive. Well, since we're talking about cheese, what what's your favorite cheese? I love. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Pause. Okay. Uh, different. There's two categories of cheese. I'll give you. What's your favorite cheese on a sandwich? And what's your favorite cheese to like eat with a cracker? Okay. So on a sandwich, I love like a good provolone cheese because honestly, I could put it, um, you know, it's tied between provolone and Swiss because I like roast beef sandwiches and I like to put Swiss with that, which is one of my absolute favorites. Roast beef and Swiss, not a common phrase. It's normally roast beef and provolone. I and that's what most people do. But well, roast beef and Swiss, interchangeable. They're both very good. Uh, a similar style of cheese. It's a um, well, semi-soft. Uh, or semi-hard? Semi-soft. It's a semi-soft. Okay. Both of them, Swiss and provolone. For crackers, I love like um, like a – I do like harder cheeses that you cut from a block rather than spread for crackers. That's very good. Um, like, a, like a pepper jack is very good on crackers because it has a little kick to it. Pepper jack is actually a semi-soft. It is it. It falls into the category of jack cheeses. Like ah, Monterey Jack, uh, Pepper Jack, and it's I like think a Colby Jack cheese. Colby Jack is another one. Um, I personally am a big fan of Pepper Jack. Oh yeah, I uh, I actually put it on my sandwiches because I like a little punch in the sandwich mm -hmm, for sure. 
It's but, like adding a whole new spice on exactly. top of a cheese. But when it comes to crackers, I love some Gouda. Some Gouda? Gouda? Gouda. Gouda, Gouda. Gouda on the it's good. Yeah, good Gouda. So on some crackers, that's great. Some Monterey Jack cheese, that's also great on crackers. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, if there's brie, I'll, I'm not a big, like, super soft cheese guy. But if something's offered to me on the table, I'm not going to decline, you no, know? you can spread that on your crackers all you want. And I will. That's exactly what I'll do. So, cheese, man. It, it makes the small sandwich world go around. It does. It really, it's a whole new dynamic. Especially, I didn't know there was classifications of cheese. I just thought cheese was cheese and, and it comes from the, the curd and all that. And they let the bacteria do whatever it's going to do. But yeah, there are so many types of cheeses. I mean, there's people who are into cheese. Like, that's their hobby. I mean, look at the whole state of Wisconsin. <laughs> it's an economy based on cheese, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I... Cheese, cheese is wild. Cheese is some wild stuff. <laughs> it's delicious. Oh, man. Oh, geez. Is this what you were thinking in math class all day? Just it's all, sitting it's there. what I've been thinking about for the past 24 hours. Were you hungry in math class? I was. Yeah. Even though I just ate. But I knew I was going to do this yesterday because I was really craving grilled cheese. Oh. Like, think of all the things we wouldn't have without cheese. We wouldn't have grilled cheese. We wouldn't have quesadillas. We wouldn't have mac and cheese. And my favorite food is mac and cheese. Is it really? Yes. Not like craft mac and cheese, but like cheese, like mac and cheese that when you grab a noodle, like there's there's some cheese pull action. You like yeah, yeah you know yeah. the cheese I'm talking. You're talk, so we're you talking we're talking high end mac and cheese. Now here. what type of pasta do you use? Do you just uh, use like an like a little elbow noodle or do you use like spirals see, or anything special? I was normally a fan of the elbow noodle, but recently I've been getting to spiral noodle mac and cheese. Yeah. I think it game changer. I think honestly. it holds more cheese per per noodle spiral. Exactly. I think it has that grip to it, that surface, that surface area that really collects the cheese. And then you can mix, do you do like a cheese sauce? Well, I guess you do a sauce and then you'd put cheese and on then top. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's where you get those cheese pulls. Like you ca- casserole cheese is like yeah. making in a lasagna but it's just cheese and noodles that's all you need oh so good that's n- so good oh, now nah, i need some mac and cheese actually yeah. there's some there's some good mac and cheese places around here are they yeah if you ever want I'll, I'll let you know where they are meaning food trucks i'm meaning food trucks i'm meaning like restaurants i'm meaning wawa down the street like wawa mac and cheese is very wawa good, mac like and cheese is very good. yeah all right matt well let's let's change the pace you know Listen, we got to wake up now. All right. We have to wake up. I'm, I'm pretty awake. Beep, beep, beep. That's your alarm clock. Oh, no. Okay. Do you hate that sound in the morning? Uh, I used to, and then I changed my alarm sound because now I don't got the beep, beep, beep. I got. I think I have a weird like trill going on. Here's a question. Do you use your phone for your alarm? Yes, I do. Yes. Did you used to use a bedside alarm clock? Yes, I did actually use a bedside alarm clock for a while. It was a radio and an alarm clock. And you switch just because your phone is that much easier, correct? It's I can set it more exact quicker and I can have multiple alarms and I could also set set it that it would go on just Monday through Friday it would go off and not Saturday Sunday. It's just one of the many tools your phone can do. And some might say it's not as good as like a standalone alarm clock, but and I mean everyone uses their phone really these days, right? Exactly. So Today, I, w- I really wanted to talk about like the alarm clock and just the idea of it and, and what has the history behind the alarm clock because we're here now where we don't even really use them anymore. I mean, it's, it's like a software tool now. It's still an alarm clock. 
I was just I was just moving the mic a little. Oh, bit oh, oh. So I it's can still, pace you. Ready? It's still a tool we use, but not in the same sense that we used thousands of years ago. Thousands so, of years ago. Yes, I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, Yi Jing was a very talented man. Okay. Uh, he was a mathematician, engineer, Buddhist monk, and astronomer. So Jing was given the task to improve calendars in China. He took it one step further, building upon centuries of Chinese innovation to create an astronomical clock to which he gave the name Water-Driven Spherical Bird's Eye View Map of the Heaven. That's the full name? Yeah, that's what an alarm clock really is. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, this was thousands of years ago. No one knows. There's not many records of of keeping track of time obviously it's in many like um scripts from ancient texts but there wasn't really a real count of who invented like a clock but this guy Zhi Jing, created some sort of device to keep track of like lunar and, and solar patterns so that was kind of like one of the very first clocks that was accounted for so the the standard clock that we know is, is slightly more complicated um well i'm sorry Xi Jing's clock was a little more complicated than what our clock is considered today with, with just 24 hours. Oh, did he have like a lot more hours? So it measured the distance of planets and stars. So it was like an astronomical device. But Oh, what, what time is it? What time is it right now? Oh, it's uh, five feet to the left of Pluto, three to the right of <laughs> exactly. Jupiter. And they, they, you would have to calculate it, like do a mathematical equation. At that, at that point, like the next minute has already come. <laughs> exactly. So a water wheel turned gears in the clock, and there was actually um, a little like puppet show that would play, and there were gongs to set um, alarms at certain times. And they weren't actually with the hours it was at like different points in the day kind of they used their own units at the time so that was dating to the year 725 um his version of the alarm clock is one of the world's earliest recorded devices of that nature so along with the water clock plato used to wake himself up for legendary dawn lectures in the fourth century bc um, it is evidence that humans have been looking for ways to wake up on time for thousands of years whether you have a meeting, uh, you have to go to a religious meeting thing, or it's just a, a human desire to to arrive on time. Or five minutes late. Or five minutes late because they had snooze buttons yeah. <laughs> in the ancient days, which I, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. So this idea of uh, like an alarm system was repeated by Europeans who created complex displays within chiming clocks in town squares. So the next step was to make such clocks smaller so they could be used individually, thus the bedside alarm clock. So historians believe personal mechanical alarm clocks originated in Germany in the 15th century, but really there's not too many historical accounts of the exact origins of like these clocks that we know today. There were so many um, little engineers working on these little parts, little clockmakers. Um, so most people didn't own such a clock at this time. They had to re rely on the sun, either servants, um, prayer chiming bells to wake them up. You know, like there's like a religious service in the morning. You hear the bell. That's where you wake up. Or classic. Can you think of a uh, farm animal? Uh, oh. Cockadoodle do. Cockadoodle do. That would do it too. That's Wait. Like so when classic. you say servants, are you saying like these people might be just like counting the minutes as they go by as a human clock? Well, I mean to wake them up and get oh, them okay. to places was, on time. So like, that would be a hard job to wake up in the crack of dawn. Like if they don't wake up, you're not waking up either. Like, alarm. My alarm clock didn't wake up this morning, so neither did I. Yeah. And that's 
that's a problem that has humans have faced for thousands of years. So as work hours became more rigid, factory whistles were blown to encourage people living near their places of em employment to get up. So that's kind of like a town. Everybody gets up and there's a whistle. Everybody like marches in right. the building. Like that's a scene I can just picture in my head. So the first known mechanical alarm clock inventor is Levi Hutchins. He was an American who in 1787 invented a personal alarm device to wake him up at 4 a.m. He didn't even have to be at work early. It was simply his firm rule to wake up before sunrise. So kudos to him. Uh, though other alarm clocks existed previously, he had not known this. He just kind of like came up with this idea. He was like, I need to wake up. I need to make a device that wakes me up at this time every day. And that was kind of his version of the invention. So because it was that human nature to be on time and wake up, he came up with it, even though it was already something in the far reaches of the earth, you know? Well, he made it in his way, I assume. Exactly. And he actually never got a patent on the design. So automatic, I mean, he could have been very wealthy, I guess, or he could have changed mankind as we know it. But meanwhile, half a century later, Frenchman Antoine Redier became the first to patent an adjustable alarm clock using his design. So everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And finally, this Frenchman gets a patent on it in 1847. Well, that makes sense because it's not a new item in a sense. It's clocks have been around. Clocks have been around. And this idea of an alarm going off. It's not like only one person wants this. I bet a lot of people would want an alarm. So more than one person's probably going for this goal. Of course. So this adjustable alarm clock allowed the user to set a time to wake rather than being ruled by the um, kind of schedule of others. Each adjustable arm, alarm clock had a hole in each number on the clock dial. A pin was placed in the hole responding to the time you needed to be up. Very simple, right? Kind of like a pin system. So you couldn't be any more specific than the closest hour, though. Obviously, the designs were getting a little better at the time, and they were kind of improving. You could set it to any time now. Just every hour, not half hour? Not half hour, just every hour. Well, I hope you have to wake up at uh, <laughs> 6, 7, or 8 <laughs> because those down. are your options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Redier's patent didn't cross the oceans, though. So like I said, everybody was doing their own thing. So another American, Seth E. Thomas, got in on the action in 1876. He patented his own version. So his company became a mass producer of the alarm clock, bringing the invention to the masses. So you're looking at the late 1800s coming into the early 1900s. Since the Industrial Revolution began, every, everybody had begun finding ways to get to work on time. So here's some like interesting things that people did. Um, in Britain and Ireland, previously they had used someone called a knocker-upper. And knock it was just, we were talking about it earlier, a servant letting you know when to get up. These were people who were employed just to be up early and just knock on doors and go around. And you would pay them like a subscription fee. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. But because whole towns relied on it, they became very like good at their jobs. So you could count on them, you know? Absolutely. You're, you're paying for good quality service here. And sometimes I wish I had someone to wake me up in the morning like that, you know, rather than a machine do it. Well, when there's someone involved, there's there's more of a desire to get up because mm -hmm. if, if you don't, you kind of are shunned in a sense. Yeah, you're given, you're judged, I guess, yeah. for not getting up or... You're like, oh, well, that person might have gotten up, so I should probably get up or yeah, something. It's yeah. kind of a mentality. So the service actually worked really well. So actually, the most, most people who used this were like policemen, firemen, who had to be up at really early, ridiculous hours. Yeah, I'd hope the firemen would be up on time. Oh, yeah, very important. 
So during the mid-1900s, alarm clock companies continued to innovate um, portable travel alarm clocks. And this is like the double ringer on top, circular alarm clock that you can picture of, the classic image that ceases to exist today. It's like a rare, it's kind of a vintage and and kind of a nostalgic image when you think about it. I feel like if you look, though, you can find them. Yeah. Especially like in this day and age, someone wants, I want a vintage alarm clock to put on my desk. You go to like one of those home, um, home goods, home, home goods decor or something. Yeah. Because it's, it's a total aesthetical piece, you know? Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the snooze button. It was uh, a popular opinion that the snooze was, um, an invention of Lou Wallace, who is the famous author of Ben-Hur. However, the Lou Wallace Museum asserts that Wallace could not have created the snooze button. Um, he did invent many other things. But the author died in 1905, nearly a half century before the GE Telecron made a clock with the snooze function. So, so no one's really to blame for it. Someone asked me the other day, like, who who invented the snooze button? Because it's it's kind of an ironic thing because it's waking you up, but you just turn it right off and go right back to sleep, you know? How long is the snooze button supposed to snooze for? Did you find that out? I don't know what the typical thing. Normally, it's like 10 or 15 minutes. Because I'm pretty sure the iPhone does like 8 or 9 minutes. You can change it. What? Because I changed mine for like, I think mine was set to 8 minutes, and then I changed it to like 10. I was like, I'm going to get a little more. I Because then I could like add in my head quickly. I think I do 8 minutes, and it it snoozed a couple times. Recently, though, I've um I've stopped hitting the snooze buttons because my um, my roommate he he doesn't need to get up. So oh. each time I hit snooze is another eight minute span in which the alarm. Yeah. I yeah. mean he's up, but it's still it's still annoying to hear an alarm go off. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. It's just a a good roommate type of thing. Um, so I lost my train of thought. What was I going to talking about the snooze button? That's right. Um. I don't use really a snooze button. I just use multiple alarms and I set them in like 15 minute increments starting really, really early, 6 a.m. And then I'm up by seven. The snooze gives you too much power. It does give you too much power. And there's, you can turn it off in um, iOS on our iPhones. Well, I think, I think my problem is I hit the snooze button and then it goes off again. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll get up. I'll hit, I'll hit the just exit. And since I only have one alarm, I might, Fall asleep for another 30 minutes. That's not good. That's not good at all. Not good at all. Not good at all when you have a class in an hour. But. Well, these days, the alarm clock is in its original form is totally endangered. Wouldn't you call it like an endangered species of technology? Uh, for its own individual piece, I feel like people would buy a clock before they bought an alarm clock. Yeah. Because an alarm clock th- these days, everybody uses their phone. Like, I have a clock on my desk and it has an alarm function, but I don't use it as an alarm. I know my parents stopped using their desk alarms and just use their phones. Your parents even use it. Wow. So um, in 2012, uh, UK Carrier actually did, uh, UK Carrier 02 actually surveyed their customers about ways their smartphone replaced other devices. And they found that the alarm clock was the most commonly replaced. Uh, 54% of O2's smartphone customers had um, changed their alarm clock to the um, mobile platform. And you know that's understandable. I I wouldn't expect it any other way if you think about it, because I mean, why have both? And you know the phones is probably going to be more efficient than the clock anyway. At least that's what I think. That's a personal opinion. What if do you you're think? using your phone for everything else, it makes sense to be using it for your alarm clock too, because it's always going to be 
on you, right? Yeah, and also if you're really good about it, you can put your phone across the room. So when the alarm goes off, it forces you to get out of bed. But I, there was um in one of those Sky Mall magazines a couple of years ago, and I've even seen it online. There was an alarm clock with wheels on it that would roll off your bedside table, and you have to go chase it. I oh, thought that was a cool concept. If, if you want to talk about weird alarm clocks, I know some weird alarm clocks. You want to list some? I ha- I have a couple that we can go out on. All right. Um, you want to go back and forward actually, because I have like two. Sure, go for it. Um, one of them I know. So the alarm goes off and a target shows up and you have to shoot the target down with a dart gun in order for the alarm to go off. Like a tar- like a tar- like a physical target or like, like a, a ring. A ring <laughs> and then you cock a gun next to your bed and shoot this thing. You, in you sleep to- with a gun. Yeah, you sleep with a gun next to you. Not like a, a combat gun, but like a little a, a little dart BB. gun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that that'll wake you up. Yeah. Because it won't go off unless if you hit it. Another one I have, I'll just say it now. It's, it. you know that game, I, I forget what it's called. You put the pieces down, but there's a timer. And then when the timer runs out, all the pieces jump in the air. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I well, know, I know the game. It's something like that, that the four there's four puzzle pieces on the alarm clock. And then when the alarm goes off, all four pieces jump in the air. And the alarm won't stop until all the pieces are back on. That's annoying. It is annoying because you're awake and you, you don't want to deal with that it. in the morning. It's not a priority. That's so funny. I have a couple. I actually own one. I have smart light bulbs in my room. So they actually do an artificial sunrise and it's paired with my phone. So the phone actually does like birds chirping or like peaceful music. I don't think the music is very oh. peaceful though. Oh, you should have shown me that when I came over last time. I feel I'll like show you next t- time. I feel like we've talked about that twice now. I have to, I have to set up the time. I'll set up the time so it's like a weird time that the well, sunrise. Sun I just forgot rise. you had hue bulbs. I didn't even think to look. I don't have hue bulbs. I have um, Elgato Avia. Are they bulbs. less? Yes. Ooh. Very affordable. Hmm. Also, Maybe. you don't need to buy a huge pack with the hub that the Philips bulbs require. Maybe I'll look into it. You should. I think it's um thirty dollars for one, one bulb. One bulb. Yeah. Well, I only have one thing on my desk that takes a bulb, so I guess. That might be an option for you. I would recommend it. I'll look, I'll, I might look We're going to have to talk about this later because yeah, we'll I, I have a lot of advice. All right, cool. Anyway, some more options. Um, I, I was reading about one online. It uses an infrared sensor to track you. It's like a little ca- infrared camera that sits above your bed and it watches you, and it'll time your alarm, and it'll put light on you like in a spotlight and okay. play music with, um, you know how I talked about directional sound yeah. way back? It uses that. That so sounds, it just wakes you up and not the person next to you. That sounds terrible. <laughs> it does sound terrible. And it was super expensive. It was like It $400. watches you while it sleeps and then you get woken up to a spotlight and noise on you. You're going to think you're it's being It's supposed to down. be really peaceful though. I don't mean a spotlight. I mean, it's just like gentle light that gradually gets. In my mind, I'm thinking me in an alley passed out and all of a sudden the helicopter's lights are on me. I hear sirens. Like, <laughs> That's an extreme. I mean, yeah, when you put it that way. You know, I'm thinking the same thing. It's pretty harsh. Oh, man. We didn't even talk about the one alarm that you and me can both relate to. Have you used the Pebble Smart Alarm on the wristwatch? Yes, it's smart, and it tracks when you're in your cycle, I guess, right? Yeah. So it tracks to the point that you're kind of starting to wake up, and then it will do the alarm then. So it's more natural, like... Sunrise, like a more natural wake up because you're not being woken up from dead sleep. I think it's in a span of half an hour, right? That it'll wake you. It's yeah. guaranteed to ring within that half hour, but it's just going to pick the best time. I've never slept through it though. Neither have I. I do like that a lot. And I do sleep with my uh, Pebble smartwatch quite often. So another one, 
vibrating beds. It's a little pad that goes under your mattress that vibrates. I remember hearing about this a year ago, but it's been so long. Explain it again to me. It's just a pad that starts vibrating gently and gradually gets more bumpy as you uh, as the alarm goes Could off you and you wake up. Living in California though, or like anywhere on the Earthquake. Ring of Fire on the Pacific, it's like the bed shaking. Earthquake. Waking up to that every day must be ter- it would be <laughs> really hard to get type of thing. Yeah, it'd be really hard to uh, get used to at first. But they hey. also have. Um, Prototypes. Some people have built actual clocks, um, alarm clocks that imitate a smell. Like there was the office episode where he wants to um, wake up to bacon, like the smell of bacon cooking. That would be a good way to wake up. There's obviously coffee machines that are set on a timer, and I would love to wake up to the smell of coffee. You know, it just brews a cup of coffee right away for you. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I like. But the if smell I had a coffee. coffee machine that made me coffee, maybe as an alarm clock, <laughs> I drink coffee. I drink coffee every morning. <laughs> A lot of people forget about that. And a lot of my friends are coffee drinkers. And I'm like, well, wouldn't it be nice to have a coffee machine automatically brew in the morning? I mean, you have to set it up at night before. But wouldn't it be nice to have it automatically brew for you every morning at like 630? That'd be pretty. Well, maybe that's early for my friends. Yeah. but six, Yeah, 630. <laughs> I haven't woken <laughs> when up. When I talk to people, I'm like, yeah, I'm up at like 7 every morning. They're like, you are? Like, I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah I've been my good about first it. First alarm's been, at 6. I've been getting up at like 730 usually now. But six? No, I haven't woken up while there was a six on my clock at all. Like you've past. never seen your clock pr- produce a six? No, not not since like high school, which it was getting up that early. Now it's I'll, I'll take my hours, any hour that I can sleep, I'll take. But are we done here? Yeah, that's the alarm clock. And I mean, just my last question that we can uh, pose to the viewers: Where is the alarm clock headed next? Is it just in our Swiss Army knife of a tool, the smartphone? Is that? what the new alarm clock is. Will kids born today not know what an alarm clock is? They'll just know the app. That's a good point. Kids in the future may not know what an alarm clock is. There was like, there was a physical tool just for this. That's what they're going to ask. Like, I don't know. Well, maybe you can find your next alarm in your cheese drawer of your fridge. But for now, that's all we have this week on Two Top. And we'll see you guys next time as Thanks always. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. See you guys. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg and produced by Thomas Lance. Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and join us next week for another Two Topics.